In this episode, I am so thrilled to present a conversation I had with the gorgeous Annalise Warren. Annalise recently put on a summit all about how to travel and work and educate your children. And it's a really wonderful topic because it is all about freedom, freedom to live the life that you most desire and still make money and shop as the best mom possible. These are topics very close to my heart. We discussed somatic safety for optimal learning environments, and that's very much about building somatic safety for yourself, your family, and your children, no matter where you are. So this is a wonderful presentation of that conversation. I'm really happy to share it with you today. I do hope you enjoy it. Mother lovers, this is Elena Turley, your host, and welcome to the Unboxable Podcast, a place for mothers who are seeking holistic health and maybe a new way to look at a few things. Please enjoy this episode. Hello, hello everyone. I have the lovely Elena Turley with me from Soul Mama Hub. Uh, I am very privileged and honored to be able to call Elena a friend of mine and I was thrilled when she agreed to come and speak at the summit because Elena is an expert at education and she is so incredibly wise which you will hear emanating from her the moment she opens her mouth so Elena gosh that's quite the introduction (laughs) you Adelaide (laughs) Well, it's true. Well, it's true. Um, Elena, would you like to just do a quick intro of yourself for um, everyone watching today? Sure. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So this little session is about somatic safety. So I will just start by saying, before I say anything about myself, I would like you to experience some somatic safety in this session as we talk about creating somatic safety for our children when we're traveling, when we're working, when we're doing educating at home. So let's just first of all go go into that space. So I invite you into that space with my voice, with some deeper breath. And I'll start with saying hello. I'm Elena. Thank you for having me, Annalise. I bring today some experience in soulful parenting for many, many years, writing, presenting, podcasting about soulful parenting, but also mainstream qualifications in education, as well as being, most importantly, a mother of three beautiful children myself, who are 20, 10, and 6 at the time of airing this. And I guess it's just to say I'm a a conscious lifestyler. I like to live in a way that is reasonably intentional and deliberate as much as possible and and focus on the way that we live in a very conscious way. So that's got a lot to do with choices that we make. And I spend a lot of time working with women and helping them to make choices that support them to nurture themselves and live in a way that is caring towards themselves, their families, and the environment, the natural world. So, yeah, coming coming at you today from some beautiful land in New South Wales and Sydney and, and acknowledging 
the people that have done lots of beautiful meeting and educating and somatic safety space creating for many thousands of years before us on this same land. Thank you, Elena. And let's let's just dive right in. This session is called Somatic Safety for an Optimal Learning Environment. It is. So how do you define somatic safety? Because maybe we've heard some of those terms, like we've heard those terms before, maybe not together. Maybe we have no idea what somatic even means at all. I know that that's actually a pretty new term in the last 12 months for myself. So um, Mm. how do we talk about that? What is it? Essentially... The word soma comes from a few different sources. There's a Sanskrit source. There's there's the English source. It essentially means all of an organism. So it means everything except the germ cells, everything that is part of your whole, um, apart from all the things that are symbiotically living in your system, which we know there's a lot of those, but it means the entire body, including the brain, including the mind, which is your consciousness, separate to your brain in a way and everything about you. So it's a holistic word. It's about understanding the whole of an organism. So when we're talking about that in sense of safety, it means that our nervous system is feeling regulated. It means that we are physiologically, our needs are met. So you'll know that hungry, angry, tired children are not able to be safe in a way. They're not able to feel somatically whole and somatically safe because they have an unmet need. So some of it comes down to physiological things. What do we need to feel safe? Some of it comes down to where we're at in our headspace or what's going on around us. So I often like to talk about co-regulation. So when we're talking about somatic safety with children, particularly children or teens, it's about co-regulating because they may not always be able to regulate everything themselves. They're not fully developed. So it is up to us adults to co-regulate and create somatic safety with our children in collaboration. Our children. Today's episode is brought to you by the Soul Mama Membership. It is a safe space online for mothers and it is specifically created for women to access a community, a nurturing community that provides gentle accountability and encourages you to walk step-by-step, small-choice-by-small-choice towards a holistic and healthy lifestyle. It really just allows you to become more relaxed, have more fun, and show up as the best mum and human possible. Visit www.soulmamahub.com. That's S-O-U-L-M-A-M-A-H-U-B. Nice one, ladies. So how do we start thinking about that? Because I know that if we're constantly surrounded by children, I'm going to speak for myself, I know that if I wake up to the children, like they're jumping on me and that's the first part of my day and then it's, you know, the the mayhem of like getting everybody dressed and beds made and, Mm. you know, coordinating for little beings under 10 yeah and then we move into school like it can very quickly and easily get heightened when Mm. people aren't listening and people you know they're retired and like that's the start because I'm starting off with this like kids on me kind of thing 
And yeah. how do we then think about somatic safety for them when we're just living up here? Mm. And not to say that happens all the time, but I know that we all experience days like that. So let's, if we start mm. from like, if, if that I happens, love that you started there. Like, so I could talk for days about all the theories of education and the theories of psychology and the theories of spiritual wellness. But the reality is in the moment, which is what you're talking about here, it really comes down to us and it comes down to how we negotiate those tricky moments, those bottlenecks that you've just described so beautifully. And to be cliched, we would say self-care, okay? I feel like that word has just been way too overused and actually is a little too superficial because really we have got so much going on as I particularly work with women, but men as well. But I'm going to talk to women because that's who I work with. That's my area of expertise and that's what I am. So that's who I can speak for more clearly. But women, if we have had children, if we have born children, and then we've gone through early motherhood, often without the amount of support that we really needed, often with people around us busily doing all the things they need to do to create money, to create places to live. You know, our husbands will go to work, perhaps our partners may be busy going out into the world to make our spaces safe. So what can happen is we can be a little bit isolated. We can be a little bit depleted. Commonly, depletion actually is thought of as something that happens straight after birth for a few weeks, and then you just get back down to it. But the body and the spirit and the soul and all the other parts of us, actually, they could take 10 years or more to recover from the immense depletion, especially if you've had multiple children that is involved with motherhood. So snap back to that moment. We're in bed. We want to be this beautiful, nurturing mother, cuddling, happy, connective. Okay. But just say we were woken up during the night, several nights prior to that. Just say we're moving locations. If we're traveling, we're moving locations that day. So there's an added layer of stress with travel. Just say there's a financial pressure. There's some external pressure. So you are not the beautiful font of maternal divine being that you would like to be. So then what happens? You know, so that's the bit where I think the work can be done and where the opportunity lies for us to really come into self-compassion and self-nurture. Because what I've observed about myself, if I go back to that bedroom moment, if my mind is projecting into the future of all the things I have to do that day, all of the things I might have to do that morning to get my children to the point where they're able to sit down and learn. And that could be multiple breakfasts, multiple tidy ups, multiple getting dressed, whatever it is, let alone my own getting dressed, let alone running a brush through my hair, having a shower, oh my gosh, luxury, any of those things, then as soon as I project into all of that, I tense up, I will be slightly overwhelmed and I will then start to go into reaction. I will start in, go into a process of, I have to manage this. I have to control this. Otherwise, everything's going to go to crap. So then we tense up. We start to get caught up in the schedule, in the to-do list, in the expectations, the social expectations. We have to make the bed today. We have to, you know, all those things. The house has to be tidy. X, Y, Z has to happen before things can go well. 
And that comes down to our conditioning as well, our deeply conditioned responses. All of those things, you think about them all at once. It's such a big, long list. And then we're feeling under pressure. And then we are expecting a lot of our children as well. We may be expecting them to respond in certain ways. We may be expecting them to understand that when we ask them to brush their teeth, we need it done now, not five times asking in 15 minutes because then we'll be really frustrated. Then we'll be behind all of these things that we impose on our children. So we're adding that pressure. So what we're doing is kind of building a pressure cooker. So it's no surprise if you think about it that way, that we're asking our children so much to to do so much, to be so much, we're asking so much of ourselves. And then we sit down to learning and we can be like, what's the problem? <laughs> like, what, what's wrong? You know, what? that it's actually like, amazing that any learning gets done at all. Right, right. So the alternative yeah. is let's look at ourselves as a whole being and our children as a whole being and then our family dynamic as its own whole being. How can we nurture that? How can we make that the main thing? So let's say we run that morning differently. Let's say we wake up, we know we're tired. We know we've got a big day. So we make an intention, a clear and present statement. Today, I'm going to be gentle with myself and my children. What if we set that as the goal instead of the do, 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 the to-do list? What if we made the beingness of it the how do I want to be today, the main thing. And then what has to happen for that? So we'll definitely cuddles, definitely cuddles in bed, you know, like at least five minutes. That's number one because that helps regulate all of our nervous system and helps us start the day beautifully. Perhaps if you have slightly older children, you could do a few minutes of meditation in bed. Oh, my gosh, imagine how that would regulate your day. And then you might say, okay, guys, here's what we've got. And you might involve them in collaborate, create a collaborative environment where you say, look, I got to be honest, I'm feeling a little bit, a little bit stressed. And this is for, you know, kids who can speak. It might be a bit different with younger babies, but let's say we have kids who can speak mostly. So you'd say, I got a fair bit to do today. Here's what we need to get done. I'm going to share it with you. How do you think would be the best way for us to do this? Do you think you could try extra hard to listen to mummy today? And then if they're not listening and you start to have a reaction, you talk to another adult, you carry on an adult process to deal with that frustration and then you come back renewed. Because I don't know about you, but when I get frustrated at my kids, they are far less likely to do what I would like or listen because they just go into, oh no. Mummy's not happy. Mummy's not okay. Uh oh, things are not great now. So they immediately go into protection mode, and then they listen less, and then you know, and it kind of creates this cascade of events that can devolve very quickly into a frustrating mess of emotions. You know, and emotions are good too. I'm not saying they're bad, but but it can be difficult to get things moving when you're feeling dysregulated. So basically, one of the wonderful women I learned from, Lael Stone, says. Children are either in balance or out of balance, and I think we're the same. So if we're out of balance or our children are out of balance, what do we need to do to get back to balance? That's the key priority, and that's a somatic necessity. If we want to be acting as whole people, as whole children, fully present, we need to be in that space of, of balance and regulation. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. I know for myself, I learned because of those situations where I'd have, you know, wake up to the children that I actually have to get up earlier. Right. To have some time for me, even if it's five minutes. Yeah. To just be like, okay, like set my own intention for the day and the ground into how I want to be that day. Otherwise, it's, it's just a mess. Like there's no, because I'm starting off from this point of being reactive of like, oh, already someone's asking something of me. Like it's, yeah. yeah. So I noticed for myself, I have to do that. And so that meant that I had to go to bed earlier, which I hated because I, I that was my time, right? That was my time to just read my book and and scroll on my phone or do whatever, like have a bath and read, like whatever. Yes. That was my time. And so to cut that short mm. to get up earlier was is still right. really depressing. But I know it's beneficial for me. So yeah. what other things do you encourage women to think about including? Yeah, sure. Look, it's a lot about understanding kind of the science behind this. So so the human right and the human need that we're talking about now, that you're talking about is self-determination or agency. So you get to choose. If you if you get up first thing in the morning, you determine that first few minutes. And that plays into a fundamental human need, which is the need for agency and self-determination and choice. So children sometimes rob us of that in the most beautiful way with their very presence. So how do we edge moments of that back into our day is really important. And same for the kids. So they also have that right. So yes, we want to enlist them and we want to boss them around because that's easy. That's a shortcut and we need certain things done. But actually, if we can work with them in a collaborative sense and give them a sense of agency. So yes, we're the parent. We have to direct. We have to lead. Hey, we have this certain requirement. We need to have a bath today. How do you want to do that? When do you want to do that? So any way that you can give the children some self-determination, some choice, some agency in their learning, in their routines, in their choice of play, anything, then you will have a much better time because it's a human need. They can't control that need. We can't control that need. It's fundamental to our existence. Free choice. Okay. It's who we are. I didn't know that, Elena. Really important. And you'll know that if you've ever had something stop you. From being oh, I know. I know. For me, right? I just thought that I was like right. stubborn and a bit of a control freak. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe so. I don't think you are, but you know, I, I totally don't know. to you, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure my husband would be like, uh, "I'm okay. not saying anything and walk that's, away." That's it's another like, discussion. I would say a very interesting discussion. It's okay. I'm, so, I'm self-aware, yeah. but I haven't. I think actually, I've been pretty bad at doing that with the children. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, I think I only try when. I do that when I get pushed back, but my natural inclination uh-huh. is like, this is the best way to do things. Like, sure, and, yeah. And, we and all this have is what that. we're doing today. So I think Absolutely. it only comes in where I'm like, this is really hard. Okay. What? Yeah. I'm but looking I, for other tools. And it's a yeah. dance, right? We're always dancing the dance. So we are the leader. We are the parent. We are the adult. So we do have to lead. We are responsible for our children's safety, protection, upbringing. Absolutely. But when that tips into just dominance, mm. then that's something a bit different. Like you say, that's when you feel a lack of control. That's when you feel the pressure, you know. Too, so too, like authoritarian. 
Right. So we do need to be an authority, but not a constant authoritarian. So that's the nuance, isn't it? So there's the self-determination aspect. There's the conditioning, which is, you know, I'm a good mother when, I'm a good teacher when, I'm, you know, all of this conditioning, deeply conditioned to believe that we are good and perfect when we do or be certain things. And that's problematic because it's always bespoke. Okay, so the right thing in any given moment is different to the right thing in any other given moment. So these absolute ideals of perfection are really problematic. And women, I think, suffer a lot from that, maybe more than men, because we have a lot of deep conditioning in ways to be a good woman, ways to be a good mother, ways to be a good partner that are often unconscious and can be quite destructive, can actually be detrimental to mental health. Um, we know this. There's a lot of data about this. Or so, even the opposite, and we don't have a mm, good example. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I a lot of the conditioning is social, but yes, if we didn't have any positive role models, that's another issue as well. Yeah. I, I know that was hard for me because yeah. my my mother was a single mother with four children. Yes. And it was quite chaotic. And so... That was the example and that was my default. So I really had to call on my husband and say, like, this is my natural, like, yeah, this is so ingrained in me to be reactive in this way. You have to help me and be like, Annalise, you're like, you're, you're going that, I'm like, I don't want to be that person. I need, Mm. I need you to help me. Yeah. Particularly, I think during COVID that came out like at the start and I was like, whoa, I can, I can see what was happening. Thank goodness. (laughs) I felt like we, you know, we managed it, but it's like, oh, I didn't realize that in such a stressful situation that was in me. And so, um, I often say that motherhood is this, like one of the best self-development opportunities of our life. And that's because we get the opportunity to do something called reparenting, where we can actually go through our childhood with a fine tooth comb and actually pick and choose exactly which things we would like to embody in our lives now and which we would not like to embody in our lives now. And we also get to, to some degree, heal our hurts around our own childhood in that process. So that's a really beautiful opportunity uh, if you have the support. And like you say, you had a partner, a supportive partner. Some of us do, some of us don't. Some of us may be single parents or maybe in relationships where our partner is not interested in talking about these things or understanding these things in this way. And that's okay. But then you may find that you seek out other people, practitioners, coaches, therapists, or just trusted allies and friends who will listen unconditionally while you sort through that stuff and heal that stuff, you know. So that's big stuff. And I think it's really important. But um, that's kind of a, a therapeutic sort of way of looking at this. And very important, but also not always accessible, especially if you're traveling, especially if you're running a business and parenting lots of children. And, you know, so how do we do that in the day? Well, we really have to take hold of our own healing journey and do what we can to, I guess, mend as we go. And there's a, there's a beautiful concept called rupture and repair, which is about when you get that wrong, you know, in the day and you you do flip your lid and yell at your kids or you do feel yourself becoming overly disciplinarian or authoritarian or whatever the issue and you can feel that you've overstepped or you've upset your children which let's face it that's never the goal 
but it happens. Maybe you're tapped out and the kids are asking too much and you can't cope with it. It's really common. It's me nearly every day. So what do you do then? And I think what you do then is you own it. You say, mommy did this thing and I'm sorry. You know, you don't say you made me or because of you. You say, I did this thing. I'm feeling like this and I'm sorry about that. And here's what I can do to make it up to you. You know, so rupture and repair is a really beautiful concept for, especially when you're traveling or under pressure. You know, things happen and they're less than ideal. And, but it's important to do rupture and repair, mainly because your children need to know that skill as well. So your children really need that skill, especially if there's siblings, they do their own version of rupture and repair. You know, they argue, they, they have disruptions. (laughs) That's okay. It's natural. So how do you model for them what to do? You know, it's really beautiful when you see children starting to do the process of rupture and repair that you've worked on, you know, it's beautiful. It's like, oh yeah, okay. So-and-so is feeling a little bit sad. Um, so I'll just back away a little bit and then they can come and say sorry when they're ready. You know, it's like, it's lovely when you start to see yeah, those processes reflected in your children. So everything we're doing is model modeling, whether they're the uncomfortable or the comfortable emotions, we need to, to model all of those, you know, and being, being okay with anger, resentment, you know, uh, sadness, frustration, all of those undesirable emotions is a really big part of this. Yeah, I was so, I was really relieved, I think is the right word, when I heard about rupture and repair. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, good. Like I'm not damaging my children for life when I lose it. It's actually, it's actually strengthening our bond. Every time I repair, it's actually building that bond and strengthening it and giving them the life skills because yeah. yeah, we do rupture and repair in our intimate relationships, like at home. We know we have to do that. But I think we're not really taught how to do that more broadly. At least I wasn't. No. Like friendship groups and things. If there was a disagreement, it was like, oh, well, we just don't, kind of don't talk to that person. Or we like, yeah, it was really, it. yeah, it was not because saying sorry or going to that person and trying to actually heal something is hard and uncomfortable. Yeah. And we put ourselves forward for potential more rejection and difficult mm-hmm. conversations, which I wasn't taught as a, as a child. I just, no. outside of my intimate family, Hi. I didn't know that that was a thing. And so that was really hard for me as an adult. And I lost friends early on it when it, in my life Yeah, because I wasn't, I wasn't taught how to do that. Right. And Same. So knowing, knowing that we can do this in our families intentionally yeah. and teach them that skill for life yeah. is really cool. Like it re- put took the pressure off as a mother, like, you know, going like, oh my gosh, what am I doing to my kids when I like flip it? Yeah. And then also that life skill of going, oh, this yeah. is like something you can take with you. That's really cool. I think I was taught mistake shame. That's what I was taught growing up. That's what I saw and that's what I t- I, I learned. And it took years of unwinding to realize apology is okay. I mean, it means that you're going to try not to do it again, for sure. But it also means you're owning it and you're owning it unapologetically. And that's kind of important, not unapologetically, you're apologizing, but I mean, you're owning it wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and you're able to say, yes, 
I'm angry, but angry is a feeling and it's past and I'm owning it. And I'm sorry for the effect that had on you, you know, but I think we do have a little bit of an issue in our general Western culture around big, undesirable feelings. You know, I was really proud of my son the other day because he got a pencil and he started stabbing a delivery box, like this uh, packaging box. We had this big box in the kitchen and he was really pissed off about something. And he started stabbing. And I think that in the past, I would have thought, oh, don't do that. That's so violent or aggressive. This time I could see he really needed to get some anger out. He was pissed yeah. off. So I encouraged him. I was like, good for you. Look how you're <laughs> handling your anger. That is so good. Go for it. Come on. You know, like I went along with him. Yeah. And I think sometimes we are so, we're so bent on shutting down those feelings. You know, you're totally. feeling really sad. Let me make it better. You're feeling really angry. Let me fix that for you. You're having a big fight with your sibling. Let me moderate and mediate. And actually the opposite is better. In so many ways. Obviously, you keep them safe. They're not allowed to hit each other, okay? But you remove them. But my point being that if they're having a disagreement, you also need to let them have the agreement that follows and negotiate and find their way through. If you're always stopping your children from solving those problems, they'll have a big gap. You're kind of robbing them of the lesson. There's a lesson in there. So similarly with children, when they get angry or frustrated or sad or they yell, We often say, oh, don't do that. We shut them down, you know. But then what message are we giving? So where are they meant to put their anger? Like where can they put those feelings? So I think it's about finding ways when those things come up to create a safe space, somatic safety, for those things to be expressed. Because part of somatic safety is to be clear of big blockages. And I tell you what, when you have a big feeling, and I'm sure you'll relate to this, just as a human being, when you have a big feeling and it doesn't get expressed and it doesn't get, you're not allowed to feel it. You're not allowed to let it flow through you. It'll come up another time when you least expect it. It will, it will come out. Every big feeling seeks expression. So I think it's really good if we can embrace that process and really become partners with our kids through that process and let them see us do the same. I'm really angry. I need to go in another room and throw some pillows at the floor. I'm feeling really sad. I need to go and call my friend so I can have a cry. You know, like I just need a minute. That that kind of stuff is really important for them to see us doing as well. Mm. So all of this really starts with us creating that somatic yeah. safety for our children really begins with allowing and accepting ourselves. Yeah. And then allowing that for our children to just be how mm. they are, right? And actually, yeah. I think I've told you the story before. My my son had lots of like was very emotionally reactive. He's a super sensitive kid. Yeah. At when he was three, and he would be yelling at kinder or at something for being mad, and they tell him just to be quiet. And I was like, well, what is he supposed to do? Like, he's not hitting someone. He's not like he's a yeah. like, That's like, right. And he's it. mad. What do what do you? You tell me, what do you want him to do? So this, like, if I'm going to teach him how to deal with this, what's the alternative? And I was like, I'm actually fine with yelling. I'm okay with stomping. I'm okay with like him screaming into a pillow. Like yeah. all of those things I think are fine. And then he kind of didn't have an answer, which was interesting. But so now, I know. It's so deep. So when they stomp up the stairs, like, yeah, stomp up. Like same as yeah. you, right? Like, like, good, you're stomping up the stairs. Perfect. Just don't like throw anything, please. Like, <laughs> just, 
so tricky. Like myself and my husband are quite different in our approach, you know, and we're, we're sort of edged together over the years. But I think the ultimate kind of way to think about this is that if you look at Chinese medicine, for example, Chinese medicine's, you know, 6,000 years older than Western medicine. It's got, there must be something to it or Ayurvedic medicine, similar, thousands of years old. And in both of those modalities, there's an acknowledgement that trapped energy or trapped emotion or trapped energy, whatever you want to kind of think of that as, will cause disease. You know, so literally it's a blockage. And and I think that we have become more aware of that over the years in, in Western culture, but it's still we got a bit of a way to go you know, that our conditioning is still pretty deeply like, don't let people see you angry. Don't let people see you sad. Um, but I think it's hopefully changing a little bit. And that, and that starts with the way that we are in our families, you know, and the way that we are together in our more intimate spaces. Yeah. So then how does that, how do we link this to learning? Like why is, I'm glad you asked. So uh, I'm an educator and I work with uh, teens and you straight away, if you, if you have a classroom full of teens, you will know pretty clearly, pretty quickly, if something's going on for one of them, you'll see them act out, you'll see them shut down, you'll see them be, um, you know, in the more extreme cases, quite oppositional to your instructions, meaning they'll say, no, I'm not doing that straight up, you know. Um, refusing to learn basically and it looks like it's a behavior issue you know it presents as a behavior issue I believe it's a whole system somatic issue because often if you dig a little deeper you'll find out there's something going on in their home life maybe someone's sick in their family maybe they have a, a member of their family with some sort of serious illness or maybe they don't have breakfast because their mum and dad aren't home in the morning. You know, like there could be lots of different reasons. There's usually a reason that speaks to I'm not whole, I'm not fed, I'm not watered, I'm not emotionally safe in some way. There's a, some sense of a lack of safety and we naturally will go into protection. But you cannot learn. Learning is a higher function. There's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can look it up if you're educating at home. You probably already know about it. It talks about how learning goes through these particular levels, but you can't get to any higher levels of critical thinking, of analysis, of, of even description in a learning sense, in an education sense, if you don't have your basic needs met. If you are tired, hungry, thirsty, lonely, physically or physiologically or emotionally unsafe, you can't learn. And there's a reason why I like that our brains are wired that way. It's neuroscience because we shouldn't be thinking about higher concepts if we don't know where our food is coming from or if we don't have shelter or if we're not safe. Like that's a higher priority. So somatic safety is actually a really primal, elemental, fundamental human need. You know, So when you think of it like that, it seems so obvious. But in the moment, it's a little harder. You know, um, I, I did a lot of recovery from addiction earlier in my life. And one of the things they talked about when you do a 12-step program, like the anonymous programs, they, uh, they talk about the halts, which is when you're having a bad day in early recovery from addiction, they say 
the first thing you do is you check in. Is it the HALTS? And the HALTS stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, sad. And I loved that because it takes you back to the fundamental aspect of maybe it's not about addiction. Maybe it's not about some big life problem. Maybe you just need a cup of tea and a sit down and a little snack, you know. But I think it's really nice to think about safety in that way and to think about learning in that way that, you know, our children really, you can't expect them to do anything complex or difficult or, you know, uh, ask them to collaborate with you on something that maybe they're not interested in if they don't have their basic needs met. And that sometimes we forget, I think. And the other side of it is just intrinsic motivation. How can we get them to want to do this stuff themselves? And that always comes from self-determination. There's a lot of studies into this and there's a fantastic educational theory called the theory of self-determination. And it's all about how can we give our children many, many choices? And I think home educators are really good at that in general, actually. Yeah, I've I've had to learn that as yeah. part of like deep schooling and yeah. unlearning, you know, 35 years of conditioning. So this yeah. is what education in school looks like. Right. You know, the teacher decides what you learn to be like, oh, actually, my kids can still get an education and there you choose what they learn. Like, I'm not there yet. I'm not fully, you know, in the unschooling camp yet. It's, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still in that unraveling process and experimenting with different things, yeah, deciding yeah. what works for us and where, seeing where my children thrive. But it is something that I'm I'm learning and excited about learning. So, mm-hmm. um. I was going to ask a question and it left, oh, self-determination, I think it was around. Yeah, it's a great theory, actually, if you want to read it. It's very easily accessible on any, like, Google. You can find Google Scholar. You'll probably find it, Theory of Self-Determination in Education. I think it was in the 90s, I want to say. And I also want to say the researcher's name. I think it's Deci, D-E-C-I. I can look it up for you and put it in the notes. Very, very interesting. Um, my favorite when I was studying education because it really acknowledges that sense of um, the rights of individuals to choose what works for them. And I think that's really beautiful. And like I say, it taps into that essential human need I mentioned before for agency, for us to control our own destiny. And I think it's something that we often um, can overlook, you know. Okay. So, what I'm kind of, what's kind of solidifying for me is kind of the truth about so many things is that it really comes down to the basics. Like you're talking about the whole, talking about a regulation of self, like looking after ourselves so that we yeah. can then create that environment that we want to for our kids. And so it's those simple things that I think sometimes we skip over because they're so simple or like you know, quote unquote simple, because they're so foundational. And we know this intellectually that we need to have good nutrition. We need to be hydrated. We like all of these things that we know. Yeah, there's the knowing and the doing, isn't there? The knowing and the integrating yeah, into your actual life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of what I'm doing is reminding you of things you know already. As you say, it seems really obvious, but I don't think we can ever be reminded too many times about these things because we're constantly returning to how can I be whole? How can I become whole again? This is the thing, you know, this is our human condition. 
it's what makes me whole today, what makes me whole tomorrow. You know, it changes every day. We're constantly working that out. So I think just that really deep commitment to I'm going to become whole today by doing this thing. Maybe today I need to have a bath. Maybe today I need to go for some exercise. Maybe today I need to meditate. And you need to have a whole lot of tools in the toolbox, you know, to be able to to make this. I always say, let, let's let's reinvent motherhood so that it makes us more than breaks us. And what that looks like for you is going to be very different to what it looks like for me. Beautifully put, Elena. I, I haven't thought about it like that. You know, what do I need to be whole today? Like people talk about balance and all of these things, but I hadn't yeah. thought about it like that. And I really hadn't consciously thought about somatic safety for learning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it's, I mean, don't. maybe I'm, I, I, no, I no, had not, not many people talk about it. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty under the radar. Yeah, I, I really hadn't. I, I know I think about, you know, if I want them to get something done, then typically and something that they're not going to do that I bring out snacks because that's like, <laughs> And make it go a little bit better. That's right. And it's distinctly kind of And even like up leveling your snacks, you know, like my latest trick has been putting seaweed flakes on things that I'm eating because I know that I need just this little extra edge of nutrition lately. Yeah. And it's been helping me heaps. So or like just hydration, like buying a beautiful water bottle, you know. And that's like, yeah, I'm gonna drink more with that because I like it. So it's like really little stuff, but actually I have to constantly stay on that. Yeah, you know, it doesn't happen by itself. And certainly for your children, they're not always able to tell you what makes mm -hmm. them whole. So having that dialogue, having that communication and that intuition, you know, leaning into your intuition for yourself and for your kids is just so, so good to do. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive more into this self-determination thing because I really hadn't yeah. considered it in that way. So I reckon you'll love I it as much as I do. I love that I learned so much from you. <laughs> Every time we talk, I'm like, oh, I've just had the same. Like I always learn from you as well. Like you're a treasure trove as well. But I think what I want to what I want to give to the people watching today is I would like to offer a free PDF that helps people to remember some of this stuff, just mm. from the depletion aspect, how quickly we can get depleted as women and how we mm. can use really simple tools to heal from that depletion great so, so where do they get it. that yeah i'm going to well they get it at my website basically elenaturley.com i'll give you a link to put in the notes as well um but you can always just find it through my instagram at soulmamahub s-o-u-l-m-a-m-a-h-u-b and uh you'll find links there that's probably the easiest but Thanks yeah, so I'm well, always man. talking about this stuff, podcast, blog, you know, like this is yeah. all I want to do is talk about this stuff. If you've enjoyed this conversation and you've been entranced by Elena's voice, go have <laughs> listen to the Unboxable podcast. There's many more gems over there. And Thank Elena you. also has a membership for women coming through, through motherhood, which I've been a part of. And there is so much gold in there. There's so much gold in there. So um, do check out things that Elena's doing. My son is coming. Yeah, that seems fitting. Hello. Hello. Hi, gorgeous. My cheeky oh, boy hey. who should be doing oh, his maths. <laughs> I'm getting up here to 
Okay. I get my story because I'm finished. More than six pages of math. Amazing. All I have is <laughs> You can tell I gave him tasks to do. Go on. I'm on a board. How good is he? That's amazing. Yes, he's very proud of himself. He's finished his math. Yeah. I love it. Very surprised. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Elena, for joining me today. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I know our, our viewers that we'll have as well. Um, mm -hmm. Everything will be in, in the notes. Um, it's yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thank you very much. It's so lovely, lovely to hang out. Really beautiful to hang out with your lovely audience. And I'll see you next time. This podcast is produced independently and made just for you. So if you have enjoyed it, please do leave me a review. And you can put in the review a request for a topic or even a nomination for a particular guest if you would like me to interview someone in particular. Thank you so much for your support. If you really love it, uh, you can also share it and subscribe to it and follow it. See you soon.